This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a limited series of Stephen King adaptations. We are spending the season talking about Lizzie's story, and I'm Joe Lipset. And I'm Terry Menard, and I'm ready to stand on the side of the cliff and shout, let's fucking kill him, finally, into the storm. Yeah, it almost felt like a bit of a Quentin Tarantino at the end of Death Proof moment, didn't it? Mm, yes. I love Ladies, that. agency. Yes. Finally. <laughs> Finally, I mean, folks, we are talking about episode six, and it feels like we're starting to finally get somewhere, which is probably a good thing, because we only have two episodes left after this. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, um, again, we have an episode where I don't feel like a whole lot happened, uh, but there is some interesting developments and some um, surprising humor. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this before we began recording. This episode has way more humor than seemingly the rest of the entire series. And I don't know if that's just because we are ramping up now and we finally get the unification of the three sisters. There's something to be said about the fact that, yeah, these women are more or less embarking on a mission to either kill someone or potentially be killed. So the stakes have never been higher. And I wonder if that makes them a little delirious. Well. Yes. And I also started thinking, um, just as we started discussing this, about how I feel like there's finally some personality in the characters. Mm. Because um, as much as um, I've enjoyed watching Julian Moore as Lisi, I wouldn't say she's necessarily had a whole lot of personality other yeah. than just sort of being, I don't know, a little bit mean to Scott in the mm -hmm. past and just sort of like trying to uncover her secrets the secrets that have been like plagued in her mind but like we haven't really seen a spark of humanity i would say in her she feels more like a character in this episode now that we finally have the three sisters together all of them seem to have up the ante in terms of their actual personality and i'm i'm here for it i think it's something that we've that the season has kind of missed honest mm -hmm. if i'm being honest and particularly because we've talked about how this isn't the scariest of Stephen King adaptations, right? No. Like we're not getting nightmare fuel, arguably the biggest moment that we saw happen in episode four, where we had to see Julianne Moore get the crap beaten out of her by Jim mm -hmm. Dooley, the Dane DeHaan character. And that isn't terrifying in the kind of traditional horror sense. So in a way, this seems to me like, okay, well, if you're not going to scare us, at least make us feel something else. And there's something to be said for getting the gang together and saying, okay, we're going to go kill this fucker now. <laughs> That's something we can get behind as horror fans, right? Yeah, and I'll tell you, that was my favorite moment of this series. Just like Amanda saying, you know, he was in my house, and then the instant we have to kill him. <laughs> like <laughs> That was what did it for her, is the fact that he, had in he invaded her home. He was there. Now it's like, nope. I have to fucking kill this guy. And then it becomes like a whole mantra of them joining Amanda. Will you help us kill him? Yeah, I got no problems killing him. And I was like, this is a little camp, a little, this is a little, a little hilarious. But at the same time, I'm like, fucking yeah, let's go kill this motherfucker. Yeah, yeah. I'll confess. I definitely did find it a little bit silly or a little bit initially off putting 
But now that I'm talking with you and kind of reflecting on it, yeah, I agree with you that I do think that this is a kind of, it's a fun call to arms. It is more character than we've seen from definitely Lizzie, definitely Amanda. I think Darla has had this kind of spunky spitfire attitude for most of the series, but we haven't seen her directed at anyone other than Lizzie. Exactly. Yeah, it's always been um, it's always been kind of intersister arguing at, the, at mm-hmm. that point. And then this was the first time that her ire is directed at the actual target that needs to go. But I just yeah, it, it's it is silly. I don't disagree with you there at all. It definitely is verging on camp, whether that's intentional or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that last that shot of them standing on the cliff is uh, I thought was a, another gorgeous shot by Pablo Larraín and his cinematographer. It just that feels epic in a mm-hmm. way that the show hasn't, even though we've gone to like mysterious and majestic places. This just felt like a a really awesome moment that even though it was silly, it like still got me like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's let, oh, and then we're not going to go anywhere. Right? We still got 10 minutes more of <laughs> ending the episode, but <laughs> yeah, well, it is still easy story. We got to keep that, that slightly languid pace up, but but it's interesting that you say that this does feel kind of epic because Terry, this is the episode where we see Lizzie actually go to the Booyah Moon and seemingly, you know, in the past we've thought, okay, we're finally going to get an episode where she goes there. It's going to spend a lot of time there. She's going to encounter the long boy. We're going to have some adventures and she kind of shows up. She douses herself in water a little bit. She sees Amanda. She comes back. Eight minutes and 33 seconds in, she finally gets into the water after two episodes, two episodes of Mm -hmm. wanting this to happen. Eight minutes, I timed it, and 33 seconds, she was finally getting in the water and healing herself. And I was like, God (laughs) damn, finally. (laughs) Yes, in uh, I think one of the shortest episodes of the season, right? This one's Mm -hmm. about 45 minutes, so. Yeah. But she's not even in the Booyah Moon very long, Terry. That's what I'm suggesting. You know, absolutely. I, I feel like, again, this we, we mentioned this, I think, an episode or two ago, that I definitely think that this is one of those cases where the budget was not enough mm-hmm. to cover the Booyah Moon because it felt like we thought we saw it. We have seen the same three different set pieces of this of this Booyah Moon. And this was like, we hit all three of them. We mm-hmm. saw the, the gravesite. We saw the tree. We saw the water. We saw some indistinguishable forestry in between and that's about all we have seen of this place still and i did think there was going to be a moment where we would see the long boy because as she is trying to coax amanda i guess into asking her to help her with writing on the paper the the moaning and the the Mm -hmm. cawing and the the sounds of the long boy started and i was like "Ooh, are we gonna no 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 no. she's just gonna peace out and come back to the real world for a little bit that was an interesting piece though because I really ended up fixating on her reactions when she saw that Scott was watching her because initially she comes out of the water she turns and Amanda is on her left and Scott Mm -hmm. is on her right and I thought okay she's going to be forced to choose is she going to pick her sister or is she going to pick her husband who has dictated this entire fucking series so far And then she goes for Amanda and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so the sisterly bond is more significant. And then I thought, okay, wait, this is just raising so many additional questions. Does this mean that Scott is actually still alive somewhere and this is his gone version, kind of like what we know of Amanda? Or is he 
dead and trapped there is he trying to help her or is he you know because you see him calling to amanda when lizzie is trying to communicate with her via the writing and terry i just has so many damn questions and of course the show has given me no answers and seemingly is uninterested in even exploring these things that i'm mildly frustrated yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was a lot I have feelings. No, I, <laughs> I that whole I was like, ooh, does she see him or does she not? Because there's a moment where it looks like she does see them, see mm -hmm. him, and then it seems like she's ignoring him. Yes. And then she seems to see him again. Yes. And I just I don't I don't know what's going on there, Joe. No. I had like notes. It was like, ooh, ooh, are we gonna save him too? We're we gonna find out what? Mm -hmm. No, we're not. No, okay. Um, is she gonna is she gonna acknowledge him no okay we're not sort gonna of, really but not really him. yeah what what is what is going on here joe i don't i don't know i wish i had an answer to that because i am i was just as confused and my notes were like oh mm, <laughs> the shrug yeah, emoji oh, the pretty big much old what the mm, shruggy yeah and part of me wonders if the plan all along has been, okay, we're going to Game of Thrones this, we're going to wrap everything up with Jim Dooley in episode nine. Yes, we're going to kill this fucker. And then episode <laughs> 10 is kind of bringing a sense of closure, allowing Lizzie to either move on or to maybe rescue Scott or, or put his memory in the Booyah Moon to rest, right? Like there is this very important moment when Lizzie first arrives that she spends time at Paul's grave and i thought okay i wonder if by the end of the series we're gonna see a second grave denoting this is where scott landon lies now well yes i but i also wonder because she takes the shovel in and then she mm -hmm. leans it against the tree next to two empty rc bottles yes i'm like is this the shrine to scott is this are you mm -hmm. is this like putting closure to it yeah she doesn't take the shovel with she her does, does she? not seem she to take it with there. her no. yeah because I thought that was going to be a weapon. <laughs> I also thought, I mean, yes, because we thought she was going to be fighting something. We thought she was going to be encountering the long boy in here. We thought she might encounter Jim Dooley in here. Clearly, our predictions for this series are just <laughs> never right. So, no. <laughs> listeners, we hope you've been enjoying them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for someone to, like, have watched the show and then listen, listen back to this and be like, Y'all don't know shit. <laughs> what a couple of dum-dums. They were never right. Never right. Well, all two of you who are listening to this, we hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I agree with you. I do think that that is either some kind of shrine or some kind of monument to him. I don't know whether we'll see more of Scott beyond this, because it does seem like at this point we are done with what the Booyah Moon has to offer, right? Like we have rescued Amanda. We are ready to move on to real life conflicts that have life or death stakes. So I don't know. Do you think this is the end? Uh, I mean, I have a feeling that we're going to get a little bit of wrap up in probably the, again, here I'm making projections mm -hmm. of things that are probably aren't going to happen. But I do think we probably will have some kind of wrap up in the last episode that sort of ties together Scott's death with mm. Lisey coming to terms with it. Because I, I've been struggling this entire time to figure out why this is called Lisey's story when it, it, as we have said multiple times, it feels like Scott Landon's story. And maybe it's Lisey's story of moving on from her husband and... If that's the case, then I do think there probably needs to be some sort of tie-in that, you know, right. she's finally ready to let him go. And I don't think leaning a shovel against a tree is thematically 
interesting enough, enough to cover that. No. Yeah. So maybe. Well, we also get this interesting piece where as she's trying to convince Darla that the Booyah Moon exists and that it is the way to rescue Amanda from her kind of comatose state, they have this very telling, very Stephen King-esque conversation about Scott's writing process. And I'm sure you took note of this because it's very wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hey folks, this is what we're doing with the series where they say Scott would always open his lectures by saying it's a battle between the writer and the story. And at a certain point, the writer has to let go and just let the story tell itself or be told. And I can't help but wonder if this is the point where we as an audience are the writers and we have to stop saying, okay, this is how we think it's going to unfold and just say the story will unfold the way it is meant to in these final two episodes. Cause it does seem to be cueing us. Oh, okay. You're going to get the confrontation with Jim Dooley that you expect, but clearly because he's been listening to everything that they fucking said, he knows that they're planning something. He knows that all three of them are going to be involved this I don't think is going to go the way that they expect it to in this next episode. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, yes, there, there's that the conversation that she has with him. And then there's also the, or with, with Darla, and there's also the flashback she has where uh, Scott gets notes back from her editor mm-hmm. and he tells a story about Ralph, the dog that yeah. decides to travel 1500 miles and turns up home three years later. And he makes the the comment that writers need to be aware of coincidences and that quote, reality is a fucking dog that somehow travels 1500 miles and turns up at home after three years. Ralph mm-hmm. is reality. And so it definitely feels like he's trying to set up expectations for what's what's going to happen. And I would not be surprised if there are some coincidences or some things that are happening because we have seen, I guess, sometimes like where things seem to be just perfectly positioned where Dooley at the very end of this episode is seeing them shoo away the cop and they don't know that he's there and they start laughing Mm -hmm. over something that's funny to them. And he thinks that they're laughing at him. There's a lot of these little tiny coincidences that I think are going to potentially explode in people's faces. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm worried about losing one of the two sisters. And I think that it's Darla who is the most likely candidate to be red shirt cannon fodder. Because Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, she does provide quite a bit of the humor. And also we have spent the last couple of episodes rescuing Amanda. So it seems unlikely that we would then just turn around and murder her. I'm just going to say Darla is all of us this episode. Darla is fucking great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the point where Lisi is like she in her she's in her head she's trying to figure out ways of, of saving Amanda and she tells Darla you could be an anchor too and her mm-hmm. response is I haven't had my coffee yet yeah. and I'm just like this is this is fantastic and that when she's trying to to force Darla to believe that this is reality she's like I really hate this Lisi because mm-hmm. like she doesn't want to address it and then my favorite moment is when they're walking up the steps to Amanda and Darla's like well, of course she's not moving. She's in a different place. And Lisey's like, but she's also here. She's like, yes, because she's a double. And then Darla's like, and don't forget, she's also an anchor. She's like, yes. And she's like, ah. it just, yeah, the exasperation the is so real. <laughs> like a real person dealing with this nonsense that is coming out of Lisey's yes. mouth and being like, yeah, okay. He's also a double and an anchor. She's a double and an anchor. I, I guess let's, mm-hmm. I'm trying to understand, but come on. 
<laughs> yes, I too speak word salad. <laughs> Tell me more about the booyah moon, Lizzie. Yeah, Darla is amazing. And I I so feel like we need that character in this mm-hmm. because sometimes the story, I don't want to say that it's up its own butt a little bit, Terry, but sometimes it is taking itself very seriously about, uh-huh. as we've talked about, some pretty silly things in this show. And I think Darla is helpful not at poking fun at the show itself, but just saying, yes, audience, we recognize that there is a character in this world who also thinks like you, it's a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and at the end of the day, if if the show didn't give us anything, it gave us Julian Moore saying Booyah Moon with a straight mm-hmm. face, saying Bool Hunt with a straight face, yes. saying all of these Stephen King-isms with a completely straight face. And that I, that's the definition of camp right there. <laughs> I mean, queer icon, Julianne Moore, giving us so much face and (laughs) mostly mouth. (laughs) All the mouth acting. All the mouth acting. Now, we also do get the return of Dashmeal, Professor Dashmeal. Terry, no. Why did you even have to bring it up? (laughs) Why did the show even have to bring him up? Okay, I have a problem with the language that Julian Moore, that Lisi uses. Oh, I did not care for that. Mm -mm. Fight back against him. But I did appreciate her basically saying, oh, you have a lawyer? Yeah, well, I have a bunch. I also have $60 million. And then we get to the kind of homophobic Mm -hmm. anal penetration joke where if we decide to ask fuck you you're gonna be bleeding for a long time and i was like oh Mm -hmm. i really like this line up until this moment why did we have to go there yeah this feels like a stephen king anachronism from the 1970s back when he didn't know any better and he thought that oh yeah okay if we're gonna say something memorable it's gonna be something homophobic or misogynistic or possibly racist like he does have this bent in some of his earlier writings, but this is not an old book and this no. is not an old show. And there's no. absolutely no reason for this, except for the fact that he probably doesn't even realize that this is not okay. <sighs> okay. Mm-hmm. So I do have a problem because as I've I mentioned before, I was on a podcast recently talking about finders keepers okay. and there's a lot of similarities in terms of the idea behind the, the fan that has become a, f- a fanatic over right. a writer, because in that, in that book, a person ends up killing his favorite author because he wasn't happy with how he ended up writing his stories. Mm-hmm. And then he was angry because the man was like, sort of like Lisi holding on to a bunch of manuscripts and not publishing them. Right. And so he ended up stealing them from him and killing him. And then he ends up going to jail where he is repeatedly raped in jail. Okay. And so we have a character and this is finders keepers is a book from only a few years ago. I want to say it was like 2018, maybe 2017, somewhere around in that time frame. Okay. And the only queer characters we get in there are either a, when he is being raped in jail or B, there is a kind of duplicitous uh, book salesman who is also gay and has this comment about seeing a young male teen walking into a store. And there's a little comment about like, I don't typically like younger boys, but... And so these are the types of queer characters we get in that story. And so Hmm. it kind of bothers me that we have that. And then we also have this, where the only mention at all of like anything that has to do that is associated with queer life right is this ass raping not to be vulgar right 
and this is also happening in an episode where one sister kisses the other sister in order to pour <sighs> magic water into her mouth and thereby bring her back to the real world. It's like, I mean, I think that is obviously just intended to be like, oh, the Bones of Sisterly love the things that we do. Scott did it to you before. I'll do it to you now. But it's... It was shocking. It is shocking. I wasn't expecting that. I was not expecting it. I just think it's really disappointing. Like, Stephen King knows about his own popularity. He knows how well-renowned, how well-regarded he is, how extensively well-read his fans are and they come from all walks of life and many many queer people i know have read Mm -hmm. plenty of stephen king and it is deeply disappointing to continue to see these kinds of negative stereotypes negative stigmas just populating his works and again i do feel like i would be more willing to let it go if it was an older text but like that's not what we're talking about here I'd also be willing to let it go a little bit more if there was a bigger queer presence in his books. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's the problem. It's not words that we're getting. It's the fact that there's nothing else there. So this is the only thing we're getting. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't think we should be equating ass raping to anything negative in. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It bothers me because there's not enough queer representation in his books at all. And the only time we ever get queer representation a lot of times comes with a negative connotation to it. Yeah. And to clarify, I mean, this is always a challenge where you have to have the conversation about, are we talking about the creator themselves advocating for these positions or holding these beliefs? Or is it, no, these characters in this person's work are saying these kinds of things. And I think the problem for me is that I don't know. Like normally I'm able to say, oh, this is a bad character and therefore they're saying things. Or this is a character speaking from a certain class, privilege, time, experience, blah, blah, blah. Like it, you can justify and or explain away based on some more context clues. But in this case, we just get this random line coming out of fucking nowhere. Like I get that Lisi is angry in this scene and she, yeah, up until this point, it's actually great because she's just not going to take Dash Meal's mm-hmm. shit anymore. And you're thinking, this is fantastic. This is the agency we've been wanting from this character for six episodes now. But then, yeah, she says this line. And yeah, if you're going to talk about anything to do with butt sex, it immediately is codified as a gay-ish thing. Mm-hmm. And there's no other queer characters in this story. So all I'm left with is, okay, Stephen King, what are you thinking? Because you're the person who wrote this line. There's no other queer characters to bounce this off of. It just, it's a really bad choice. I don't think he is thinking. I'll be perfectly honest. I I think this comes with, with the idea of of straight privilege. I I don't think he thinks of this as being Mm -hmm. a negative. There's any negative connotation to it. I don't think he has for at once ever thought about, this is being offensive to the queer community. Mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think that's ever crossed his mind. And that's not to give him, you know, a, like a, a pass on it. I just right. I don't think that this ever crosses his mind whenever he uses stuff like this. I really don't, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's one of those situations where I think, you know what, a person writing at your level with the kind of mass exposure that you have, mm-hmm. like, hell, mm-hmm. you got your own fucking television show that you get to write every episode for. Mm-hmm. Do better. Like, educate yourself, 
hopefully listen to people reach out like I'm going to tweet you in this <laughs> when this podcast drops. But it's an opportunity to listen to people and say, okay, I'm going to try to do better in the future. That's all that we can hope for. Because like I said, I, I love King. I've always loved King. I think he sometimes does say things that are like, oh, he's definitely that old white, right. old, white yeah. old white straight man. And mm-hmm. this is one of those, those, those times. I just, it's frustrating because yeah. I do, he's, I mean, he's the biggest force in, in literary horror. I mean, he mm-hmm. just is. And the fact that he has learned a lot in the last 40 years of writing, there's a lot of things that I still am like, why, why are you going down this, this well-written path? Mm-hmm. Not to beat the horse to death. Right. The reason that we are seemingly harping on it so much is because it took us both out of the moment of the Mm. show. Like I stopped and said, now I got to write that line down so that we can address it because it took me right out of the show. It came out of nowhere. And there was nothing in Lisey's character to Mm -hmm. that she would have this kind of in her. Like I never would have expected her to use that, that phrase ever in anything that we have seen up until now. Uh, So yeah mm-hmm. um cops <laughs> useless not a great depiction it's another week of not great protection although a very obvious dangling plot thread that Lizzie is potentially going to get together with this police officer by the end of the series <laughs> because she is definitely flirting with him uh, that was another moment when I was like, I, I love Darla because she's like, you flirted with a cop. And he's like, I did not. And they all laugh. I'm like, no, you, 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 you definitely did. did. 100%. percent we all saw it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, he's attractive. I get <laughs> oh, it. Sure. I understand. It's been yeah. two years. I completely understand. But mm-hmm. I don't understand why he's in here except to be yeah. a love interest at the very end because we start the episode off with him deciding to go home, mm-hmm. which I'm like, okay, if you're really providing police protection are you aren't you gonna like have someone replace you or what is going on here but he's like "Uh, no i'm gonna stop by amanda's house first so he does gets out of the car and he's like yep okay i've Mm -hmm. looked at amanda's house like why do we even have this scene in here and as we've talked about in previous episodes everybody and their dog leaves their fucking door open so (laughs) maybe walk up to the porch and just check to see like jimmy the lock a little bit yeah. And then by the end of the episode, he's so easy to believe that Dooley is gone and mm-hmm. Lisey is safe. And he's like, OK, yeah, just give me a give me a call. And I'm like, what? Wow. Why? Why are mm-hmm. you even here? Yeah. It, unless it is to say, oh, OK, well, you can't rely on police officers to protect you. Like you have to take matters into your own hands. You have to decide, OK, we're going to fucking kill this guy. Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the fact that uh, there's obviously sexual tension between the two of them, I would say is Stephen King saying ACAB. Mm-hmm. But I think you're absolutely right that she, we're probably going to see this tentative first steps of a relationship yeah. with this completely useless cop. Or yeah. he's going to die. Or he's going to die. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Dashmiel before we had our extended conversation. And I honestly, as soon as he showed up, I also thought, okay, well, what are you doing back here? I don't need more of you. Like, considering the size of the small cast in the show, there are too many useless characters. <laughs> yeah, there is. <laughs> and it just, it takes away from the, from the good parts because I honestly wanted to have more, I would have loved to have had more bonding between the sisters. And yet we have a lot of the plot here that is either 
I would say wasted on these couple scenes with the cop in the beginning or this conversation with Dash Meal or mm-hmm. like, I mean, it, this definitely feels very writerly where I have to bring Dashville back in so that right. at least he has a reason to tell the cops not to be mm-hmm. here anymore so that we can like, it definitely feels like we're trying to jury rig this plot to work at this point. Oh, for sure. And I, that might be the only reason they're there, but that is not interesting enough for me. <laughs> no, this, this is, I could have used a little more Ralph the dog as opposed to, <laughs> okay, let's hit these plot points like the editor requested of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This definitely feels another one of those that writers can't work on coincidences. And mm-hmm. I just, you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and really, that's what I take away from Dooley being there and eavesdropping in these final scenes, right? Is the coincidence that he happened to come onto her property and make the phone call when he hears her say, come to my house at 10, because she clearly thought he was going to do that from a further distance and not observe her and her sisters hatching their <laughs> Machiavellian scheme. And now everything's going to go to hell. So that's the Stephen King coincidence. But yeah, mm. the Dash Meal, the police officer, this is very much, okay, let's make sure that all of the ducks are in the row so that people can't complain about the plot too much. I also wonder... Amanda's statement, Al Gore, my panties are all getting damp. Um, no, maybe. Who, are we at the who, wrong age? Who writes that? <laughs> to be honest, the comments that you brought up about Darla, I did find very funny, but everything to do in the doctor's office when she's looking at all these pictures, I didn't find any of it funny. It just seemed like, unless you're trying to distract him so that you can sneak Amanda out, none of this is working. No. No. She just seemed childish to me. Yeah. And Amanda definitely felt childish at the very end where, you know, she's talking about, oh, in the diner downtown, I wanted cheeseburger and fries like I like them burnt black. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know. She just doesn't come across as like a real person sometimes. And some no. of the things she says does not feel like a thing that a real person would say. No. There was a bit of tinier dialogue in general in this episode. I don't think it's Stephen King working at his finest. No. But yeah, Joan Allen could not save some of those lines. And uh, <laughs> no. Jennifer Jason Lee could not save some of those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've got two episodes left. What do you think is going to happen in the penultimate? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. Obviously, I think... I say obviously, but obviously. nothing in this in this show has moved at the same pace that I want it to. But I feel no. like we're going to have some kind of confrontation. Mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if it doesn't if the confrontation continues on into the beginning of the, the final episode. I do believe that not one of the sisters is probably going to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I don't know. I'm guessing we're going to end up in the Booyah Moon and she's going to try to either leave him there or get he's going to get killed by the the long boy okay somehow that long boy is gonna have to come back into the picture because you don't introduce this very interesting very tall Mm. creepy creature and not do something with him even king isn't going to do something is not going to do that (laughs) yeah i agree with you i would love to see the jim dooley stuff handled in the next episode and then use the final episode as a bit of an extended coda but not in the stand kind of way oh see 
I, I know, didn't bring I know, it up I just jinxed you... it. <laughs> <laughs> I do agree, though. I definitely think we're going to lose one sister. We're going to lose either Dashmiel or the police officer. And Lizzie is going to have to bring Jim Dooley into the Booyah Moon, and he will be killed by the long boy. Yeah. Maybe Scott will help. Who knows? <laughs> I have no idea what to do with him kind of factor in this. The specter in the sitting in the corner of the room that we have no idea. Is he real? Mm-hmm. Is he not real? I don't know. <laughs> oh. So we'll see. So folks, if you want to test your hypothesis, Terry, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, you can follow me or reach out to me on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. And what about you, Joe? I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. So thanks to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for letting us yammer on about Stephen King's maybe thinly veiled homophobia slash white privilege. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that they were happy that this is where we ended up taking this discussion today. But yeah. Until next week, when we talk about the penultimate episode of Lizzie's story, we will see you under the tree with the RC Cola bottles. And I will see you standing on the side of the cliff screaming, let's fucking kill him. Let's finally kill him. Squad.